Okay, guys, we are in Lesson 6. We're going to look at Joshua's death. Actually, just right before Joshua's death, and then the last few verses of chapter 24 are about his death. We're going to look at his, really, his final words, okay? His final words. Now, he's going to give his final words to the leaders of Israel, and then his final words to all the people, okay? But before that, here's the thing. I, I think it's really interesting. When you have people, even people who are related to each other and a part of a nation, you're always going to have conflict. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, so let, let me stop for a moment. Have you ever heard this? I, I've heard people say, um, I don't know that I want to go to that church. They're always fighting. Okay? I don't, I, churches just seem to fight. Ever had anybody say something, ever heard somebody say something like that about fighting in church? You ever hear anything like that? Okay. Yeah, that's true. Churches do fight. So does the moose. So does the elks. So does basketball programs and stuff like that. Have you ever noticed people fight? Why do, why is there always fights when there's groups of people? Different opinions, misunderstandings, what? Pride, but it's because we're humans. Do you know what I'm saying? Do human beings fight? From wee little. You remember? You got two little ones. You think, oh, they're so sweet. And then they're fighting over a toy. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Or a toy. I mean, so human beings fight. Even church people fight. Even God's people fight. That's what we're going to see starting off here in the very beginning starting with chapter 22. We're going to see something that really starts out that's supposed to be good, that's misunderstood, and they're getting ready to kill each other over it. Okay, so let's talk about it. First of all, again, we're not going to read these passages. We're just going to talk about them. You can go back and read them. All right, so we're going to start off with chapter 22. We're going to start off with the conflict with the eastern tribes. Everybody know who the eastern tribes are? Those were the two and a half tribes who, who were given the land on the east of the Jordan. Okay? So let's go on here. So first of all, Joshua commended the eastern tribes for fulfilling their obligation to the other tribes. Remember, that was the stipulation. Guys, you want this land, it's great land for pasture, Moses said, okay, I'll give it to you, the land of the Amorites here. However, you need to go with your brothers and take the promised land for the other tribes. And they said, okay, we'll do that if we can get this land of the Amorites. And that was the agreement under Moses. Joshua affirmed that agreement. They marched over, they helped Israel in all of their battles to take the land. And so Joshua is saying, hey, you guys fulfilled your obligation. You did good. Joshua told them to follow the law. So as they're getting ready to go back across the Jordan, he says, follow the law, love the Lord, and walk in his ways before blessing them, before he was gave them his blessing. So he says three things. Number one, if you read there, you'll see, follow the law. What law? The covenant. Basically, the first five books that we have. Follow the law. Next thing. Love the Lord. Okay? Which, remember, that's what Jesus says, the greatest commandment. What? 
Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and soul, right? Okay. And what? Walk in his ways. And then he blessed them. So the eastern tribes were returning to their homes with much spoils from the conquest. So they're going back. They're not going back empty-handed. They're going back with all this loot and bounty and everything that they were able to take from their enemies. Okay? That they were able to take from their enemies. So we're going to see that. So everything's working out great here, isn't it? They fulfilled their obligation. They're on their way back home to their families, to the people who were watching after their stuff while they were out fighting the battle. So, as the eastern tribes were returning home, they built a large, impressive altar by the Jordan. Okay, so where they crossed the Jordan to get into the Promised Land, they returned that way, and right before they returned, they built a huge altar. I mean, it was looked wonderful. They built a huge altar. All right? Now, it didn't say right there why, but they built this altar. We're going to find out why in a moment. Okay? And the report of the altar went out and reached the ears of the western tribes. So, of course, when you build something that big, people are going to what? Well, no, not built. They're going to talk. Hey, look at what they're building. What are they building? An altar. An altar. Anybody see a problem? I don't think there would be a problem with there. Well, they're supposed to have only one altar. Where's that altar supposed to be? At the tabernacle, which is in Shiloh. Okay? There's only supposed to be one altar to the Lord, but they're building this other altar. Now we've got some problems happening. So the western tribes gathered at Shiloh in preparation for war with the eastern tribes. Whoa, what happened here? All of a sudden something changed, right? You're like, you're reading along, it's like, whoa, are they that quick to start wanting to go to war here? It tells you they, they gather at Shiloh to talk about this altar that was built, and they're making preparation to go fight against the two and a half tribes. What is going on? This is like serious. I mean, we're not talking about we're just going to go and threaten them. We're talking about making war. Kill them. Okay? Kill them. So the western tribes sent a delegation to the eastern tribes. Now they at least had enough sense to send a delegation. So they sent one of the high priests and a leader from each of the other nine and a half tribes. Okay? To go and talk with the Western tribes about this altar. Isn't that interesting? So at least they had enough sense, rather than just completely reacting and going and attacking, they decided to send a delegation to find out what was going on. Okay? Find out what was going on. So the Western tribes confronted the Eastern tribes about the possible sin with the altar. So when you read this, and you read the confrontation, it's very interesting. The western tribes are concerned that the eastern tribes are doing something because, number one, they've been influenced by the pagan culture of the Amorites in the area that they have been taken. You'll see that there. Number two, they're concerned 
that their altar is going to provoke people to sin against the Lord because there's only supposed to be one altar. That's the altar in the tabernacle where all the sacrifices are made to the Lord. So they're concerned about that. And then number three, they're concerned about that if people sin, God's going to be mad and they're all going to suffer for it. And he reminds them, don't you remember? It says, don't you remember the sin that happened and how God, and don't you remember the sin of Achan and all? I mean, they're like fresh in their memory how God responds when one part of Israel sins. So they're going and confronting and saying, what's going on? Are you guys causing this to sin? Because if you are, we're going to deal with this. Well, that's really taken seriously. They're concerned, right? Okay, so you're like, it's just an altar. No, no, they're concerned about it being an affront to God. So, the eastern tribes stated that the altar was a memorial that they had a claim to the Lord's altar. So, you can see the eastern guys are saying, whoa, whoa, okay, guys, we didn't even think about that. Maybe we should have just built a memorial stone, but we were we built this altar to say we had a claim on the true altar. Because, you know, we're separated from you by the Jordan. And we wanted to say that we're still a part of Israel. And so we built this massive, huge altar as a memorial to the true altar to say that we had a claim to remind everybody that the two and a half trip tribes who live on the other side of the river are a part of the whole. It's interesting, isn't it? Why they decided to build an altar, I don't know, but that's what they did. doesn't tell you why an altar. And they said, it's not for sacrifice or burnt offerings. There's not going to be any sacrifices on this altar. There's not going to be any burnt offerings on this altar. It's not a place of worship. It is simply a reminder to all. What's the reminder? That the two and a half tribes have a claim to the altar that is in Israel. Okay, so, all right. So the western tribes accepted their explanation, excuse me, accepted their explanation, and the preparations for war ceased. They calmed down. They stopped. Isn't that interesting? Now, let's stop for a moment. All right, let's talk about this because this is so true. This can be even true in church, okay? This is true. A lot of times, conflict starts, well, because of offenses and what somebody did, but a lot of times, in this instance, it started because of what? A complete misunderstanding. Lack of communication, misunderstanding. Are they all guilty? Yeah, they're all getting for getting all worked up. Yeah, would you have chosen an altar as a memorial? Nah, maybe maybe if they had thought about it, they would have chosen something different. Did you understand what I'm saying? Maybe they wouldn't. But the point is, it started out as a misunderstanding, and they were like ready to come to blows. Well, at least one side was ready to wipe them out, because they were afraid and concerned about what God was going to do to them. You see how things happen? Now, let me just stop. We're talking about church conflict. I'm just going to tell you right now. No church is immune from conflict. Ever. Conflicts can happen like that. Did you understand what I'm saying? And they start out typically with what? What? 
a misunderstanding or a lack of communication. Did you understand what I'm saying? So a lot of times, things need to be dressed what? we got a good example here how they addressed it. They went and what first? Rather than coming to blows, they went and what? Talked about it. Listened to them. Listened to their explanation. Explained what they were concerned about. Okay? So I'm just trying to tell you, because I hear people sometimes through the years, I've heard people, oh, I wish I could find a church where they don't fight. Well, you're not going to find one. Not going to find one. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, you're not going to find any organization that exists human-wise that does not have some sort of conflict. Okay? Some sort of conflict. Period. Okay? So the Western tribes ex ex accepted their explanation of the preparations for war ceased. Okay? It ceased. Now, we come to chapter 23 and chapter 24, and now we're going to talk about Joshua's final words. Chapter 23 is Joshua's final words to the leaders. Chapter 24, the first major section of it, is Joshua's final words to the people. So let's talk about four, uh, his final words to the leaders. Now, you need to understand, when we come to Joshua chapter 23, the writer at this point, it may be Joshua, it very well could be Joshua, although I'm thinking it's somebody else, is making the point to tell you the timing of this meeting. So this is years after the conquest. Maybe 10 years after. Some scholars say 20. But this is after the conquest has happened, the people are settled in, Joshua is at the point of his death, okay? So now years after the Lord had given Israel the land and the people lived in peace. So this is the setting. Verse 1 tells you that. The next section begins Joshua's final words. He, the leader of Israel, okay, appointed by Moses, affirmed by the Lord, he calls a meeting of the leaders. You think people are going to show up to that meeting? Oh yeah, they're going to show up. So all the leaders of Israel, all the leaders of Israel show up to his place to meet with him, to hear his words. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the many things that he challenged him with. We're just going to go through this. We're going to try, remember again, we want to learn from them. This is not what you should do, but there are some lessons here. Okay, so Joshua reminded the leaders that their enemies were defeated because the Lord fought for them. First thing he does. Your enemies were defeated because God fought for you. All right, now why would that, why do you always need to start off there? Why do you need to start off there? Why do you need to start off knowing that it's God is the one who gave you what you have. God is the one who fought for you. God is the one who gave you victory. Why start off there? All right. Humility. Humility and glory for God. Okay, humility because humility would say we weren't able to do it unless we had God's help. And isn't that true? Because we saw in the northern campaign they were going up against what? Chariots. They didn't have chariots. Okay. When you think about taking down Jericho, how did they take down the wall? Shouting. But who really took down the wall? God did. Okay, so he's reminding them to be humble 
And then number two, giving glory is what Bruce said here. Giving glory to God. God is the one. Give him the glory. Okay? Give him the glory. So, he also points out to them, because they somebody might say, well, yeah, God gave us the land, but we still got these people around here, the Jezebites and some of the Canaanite peoples. Well, Joshua says that the remaining peoples of Canaan will be driven out by the Lord. He says, okay, God's, God's left some of these people, but he's ultimately going to drive them out. He's ultimately going to drive these people out. They are encouraged to be courageous in doing all that the Lord had commanded in the law. So again, just like what he said to the eastern tribes years before when they returned back to their families, do the law. Be courageous in fulfilling what God had called you to do, what God has told you to do. Do the law, okay? So we see that here. They were told not to associate with and embrace the gods of the peoples around them. This is something we need to give pause to. Okay, so all right, we're not Jews here, right? Everybody agree? I, I think most of us here are not Jewish lineage. Maybe you don't know, okay? We're Christians, right? We're the people of God who belong to Christ, right? But there are some things that you need to understand. There are some things that were true for the Jews that are true for you and I as well. This is one of them. What do you mean, George? Well, he's saying for the sake of Israel, for your well-being, don't associate with these unbelieving pagan tribes and with their gods, because if you do that, that will destroy you. We're going to see that here in a moment. The same thing is true for you and I. We are actually called to a type of separation in the New Testament as believers, to separate our lives from the lives of the unbelieving world around us, to be different than the under unbelieving world. Now, I know right now it's popular in Christianity to say, well, you can just do whatever you want to do. You just need to have Jesus and you'll be okay. No, 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 no. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie because the scripture calls us to be what? Holy as he is holy. Second Corinthians. Be not unequally yoked to unbelievers. Don't marry an unbeliever. That's in the scripture. It's telling you that. It's saying do not associate because it will have a detrimental effect on your spiritual life. Do you understand? It'll have a detriment. See, the point isn't, oh, did you need to be snobby and better than anyone else? No, it, the point is you don't hang out or do things with them or compromise your life because it's going to affect who? You. You. Yeah, you. You're the one who's going to go down. You're the one who's going to suffer. You're the one who's going to feel the effects of that. This is what Joshua is saying to them. You've got these tribes among you, but don't associate with them, especially don't embrace their gods. He tells them that from the very beginning. How'd they do? How do we, if we know the rest of the Old Testament, how'd they do? No, they didn't do very good at all. Okay, they didn't listen. Okay, they didn't listen. 
So again, he reminds them that the Lord has fought for them and no one can stand against them. So here's what he does. He tells them, don't embrace these other peoples. And remember, you're here because God fought for you. Nobody can stand against you because you have the Lord. What is he trying to do? He's trying to remind them that they are who they are. They have what they have because of the Lord. So don't reject him by going somewhere else. You know, that's very true for you and I. You have salvation. You have faith. You have forgiveness. You have a hope because of what Jesus did for you. You can do for anything for that, could you? Anybody here can do anything for your forgiveness? Anybody here can do anything for your acceptance with God? Anybody here can give yourself a hope later on? You can make it to heaven on your own because you're really good. Anybody here can do that? No, nobody can. Everything we have is because of what God has given us. So don't reject him. Okay? So if they embrace the gods of these nations, these tribes, people around them, if they embrace the gods of these nations, the Lord will not fight for them. He's going to let you go on your own. That's the point. You won't have the Lord if you go do this, is what he's saying. The Lord's going to let you. If you choose to do that, you're going to go on your own. You're, you're going to suffer the consequences. He's not going to be there. You decided to go on your own. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. And, and let's be honest. It's true, isn't it? It's true. These nations will become a trap for Israel until they perish from the land. They will become a trap. There's some powerful lessons here in the warnings about our lives. About our lives. We think we can just walk away from God in this one. You know, God, I know better than you. I'll just walk over here. And then we end up getting enslaved to whatever it is that we think we know better from God about. And it ends up ultimately what? Destroying us. Destroying us. It does. It does destroy us. So, stating that he was dying, he points out that the Lord is faithful to his promises. So basically, what he says is, guys, I'm on my deathbed. So pay attention to what I'm saying. God is faithful to his promises. Can't think of a better guy to say that than Joshua, right? God was faithful to the promises. He held on to them, okay? He wandered around with complaining people for 40 years in the desert because he had faith that God was going to give them the land. God's faithful. But if they are disobedient to the Lord, they will be punished and perish from the land. They will be punished. Now, I need you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Again, this is out there today. You need to understand. Yes, Jesus forgives you your sin. But he doesn't remove the consequences. He also punishes. You mean he's going to send me to hell? No, he's not. No, listen. He's not sending you to hell. It's kind of like a parent. If you if you got a child who's doing wrong, you forgive them, but you also what? Discipline them. But you're not throwing them out of the house. Did you know what I'm saying? No matter how much they irritated you, and you wish you could at that moment, but you're not. You're what? 
disciplining them to get their attention to set them right. But you're still not kicking them out of the clan. God's not going to kick you out, but he is going to what? Discipline. Isn't that what Hebrews says? Hebrews says he scourges every son he loves. And the word scourge there, that ain't a pat on the butt. Okay? that That's a serious beating. What's that? Yeah, it's more than behind the woodshed, okay? It's not like you ain't walking a while from behind the woodshed. You maybe aren't sitting down for a while, but... Uh, do you know what I'm saying? So uh, you need to grasp. He said, if they're disobedient, they will be punished. See, this is, uh, can I be honest with you? You said, well, that just makes you scared of God. Isn't that what it's supposed to do? Because isn't that what's missing today among God's people is a fear of God? I mean, look, seriously, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up with an authoritative dad, okay? But there were some things that I didn't do simply because I was afraid of my dad. Well, that's not healthy. No, actually, it was quite healthy because it kept me from getting into stuff I shouldn't have been getting into. Do you understand? Because I had a fear of my dad. How many of you had a fear of your dad? Okay. Yeah, a fear of your parents. Yeah, that wasn't bad, was it? We need to have a fear of God. That there's some things you don't do. And he's, he's trying to remind them, guys, you're God's people. You disobey him, he will punish you. And you will perish in the land. All right, so let me, I think at this point, we get to where he's challenging Israel now. All of the people. We come to chapter 24. Again, all the people gather. So he's going to do three things here. Number one, he's going to remind them of the blessings of God. He's going to talk about their responsibilities, and then he's going to talk about a pledge that they need to make. All right, so let's talk about the blessing. The Lord recounts the blessings upon Israel from Abraham to that point. So when you read the first 13 verses of chapter 24, what you're going to see is, is a remembrance of what God did for them and how he was faithful to them. Do you understand? Here's what I want you to understand. A lot of what we see in the things that we do in Christianity is to cause us to remember. Remember what? Our salvation and how God saved us out of wherever he saved us and put us into a new place and to remember the blessings of that relationship. Okay? He's doing the same thing here with them. So then he goes on and he talks to them about their responsibilities. Israel was to choose between serving God and the gods of Ur. Where's Ur? Remember that's where Abraham came from? The gods of Ur and Canaan. In fact, that's where that famous verse is. How many of you have ever noticed on the front of our church it says what? Anybody know what it says on the front of the church? Choose you this day whom you will serve. That comes from this passage. Because Joshua is challenging them, saying to them, you need to choose who you're going to serve in this world. God? Or these gods from Ur and from Canaan? Choose you this day. And then he says, as for me and my family, we will what? Serve the Lord. Okay? A choice. Hey, you know what? Can I be honest with you? I was just thinking about this. That 
challenge is in different forms the rest of the scripture. Think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. How long will you falter between two, two thoughts? Either serve the Lord, he is God, or serve Baal. It's the same thing. You and I have to come to a place. We can't just live in the, everybody wants to live in the mushy middle. I want the Lord, I want his blessings, but I want to do what I want to do. You can't live there. It's either serve the Lord. We'll see, let me stop for a moment. If you think that that's terrible, then you've got a wrong view of God. See, if you think God's a cosmic killjoy ready to wipe you out and ready to keep you from enjoying life, then you have actually got a wrong view of God. God's not out to make sure your life is miserable. God wants to actually protect you from some things. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why he says don't do certain things. Save you from the heartache. Save you from the detriments of sin in your life. So choose. He's saying here, Israel was to choose between serving God and the gods of Ur and Canaan. The people affirmed their loyalty. So once he does that, the people said, yes, okay, we're going to do this. The people affirmed their loyalty to the Lord, but Joshua challenged that loyalty. This is interesting. He's a sharp guy. All right, if I said, all right, are we going to serve the Lord here? Everybody would say, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay, ever been in a church where they've done that? I've been in a church. Everybody says, Yes. Yeah, but Joshua, he's sharp. He says, yeah, words are cheap. Talk's cheap. Because your tendency is, and it's a human tendency, he understands. Why? Because he's old now. He understands. He understands we can say all we can about wanting to serve the Lord, but our tendency is to what? Drift away from him. He challenges them. Yeah, you say that, but do you really want to be loyal to the Lord? Do you really want to be? See, just the first guess doesn't do it. The question is, do you really want to? That's what he's challenging. Don't just give me lip service here is what he's saying. Okay? Don't just give me lip service. So again, they affirm their loyalty, and then here's what Joshua said. Okay? Yeah, we're going to do this. Joshua says, okay, then put away your foreign gods. You're really real about this? Here's the first step. Put away your foreign gods. Now, what in the world is he talking about foreign gods? Well, I hate to say this, but they had the Lord, but they also had other things. Because what you're going to see as you go through the scripture is that some of them had household idols. Remember when we talked about some of them in, in the, in, when they were in the wilderness? Some of them still worshipped the goat gods. They saw the Lord, they were following the Lord, but they still had their household idols. We're going to see that even with David. Remember when David's running from Saul, and he goes back to his wife's house, and the wife says he's got to run, and so she makes a bed and puts a household idol in his bed to act like him. Now, that's got to be a pretty big idol. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, got to, this is David. He's got a household idol. Okay, so here's what Joshua say. If you're serious about following God... Put away your idols. Put away your foreign gods. Because if you're going to follow the Lord, you have to follow him, period. Not your gods. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's one sharp guy here. He's, it's like you're not putting the wool over Joshua's eyes, okay? He knows. 
So Joshua renewed the covenant of the Lord and wrote down their pledge to him. So he's like, he renews the covenant, he goes through the covenant, so probably they read the covenant to them. And then he wrote down that they committed themselves to follow this. He wrote it down. Okay? Wrote it down. So then, just a little bit later, Joshua dies. Died at the age of 110 years old. Wow. 110. Think about that. 110 years old. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. Now they were serious about their commitment because Joshua says here at the end of the book, the book of Joshua says that while he was the leader, Israel followed the Lord and the leaders who committed themselves to that pledge, remember they pledged that they were going to be loyal to him, they followed until their death until their death. They all continued on. Now when we get to the book of Judges here in January, we're going to see that the next generation didn't. Okay? Didn't. But that generation did. Okay? That generation did. So Joseph's bones were buried in the land Jacob bought in Shechem. Remember Joseph's bones? We haven't talked about them for a while, but remember Joseph said, don't bury me in Egypt, but when you go back to the land, take my bones. And remember, when they fled from Egypt, you know, when they were told to get out, and Moses left with the children of Israel, they took Joseph's bones with them. And so now, the Joshua records that they what? They buried Joseph's bone in the plot of land that Jacob bought to bury Leah. Okay, remember his wife Leah? In Shechem, in Ephraim. Okay, in Ephraim. That's one of Joseph's sons. In that land, they buried Joseph's bones. Fulfilling that what? Oath. Fulfilling that oath. So then Eleazar, the priest, died and was buried in the hills of Ephraim as well. Okay? So that ends that generation. Next time we're going to get together, we're going to talk about Judges, and here's what Judges says several times. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the statement of the generation today, isn't it? 